This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to the Solomon Success Show, where we explore the timeless wisdom of King Solomon and the Bible as it relates to business and investing. False prophets and get-rich-quick schemes are everywhere. Let's not be distracted by these. Instead, let's go to the source, the eternal principles that create a life of peace, power, and prosperity. Here's our host, Jason Hartman. It's my pleasure to welcome former congressman of Oklahoma, former chairman of the Republican Conference for George W. Bush, the first African-American elected to statewide office in Oklahoma, president and CEO of Feed the Children, co-founder and co-chair of the Coalition for AIDS Relief in Africa, and founder and chairman of the lobbying firm J.C. Watts Companies and Watts Consulting Group. You probably know who this is now, don't you? That's the largest African-American-owned lobbying company in Washington. He's also former Canadian Football League and Oklahoma Sooners quarterback, leading them to two Orange Bowl championships and author of the new book, Dig Deep, Seven Truths for Finding the Strength Within, and that is none other than Mr. J.C. Watts. Welcome, Congressman. How are you? Jason, I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on and letting me give you a little color and insight on my new book, uh, Dig Deep. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, and I want to hear about your career. You've got such a long resume as well. Why did you retire after 10 years in the House in an era of career politicians? <laughs> well, actually, um, you know, when I ran, Jason, I said I was going to run. I said I was going to serve three terms. I actually served four. And after eight years, it, I knew it was time for me to move on. I never meant to do it, to have a career in politics or to build and empire, it really was public service. And as you mentioned in my intro, I have uh, served in many arenas. I've been in youth ministry. I've been in politics at the highest level. I've been in football at the highest level. I've owned my own business. I've been on the board of some fine companies in the U.S. And there's one common thread in every one of those arenas and it's to cheer the crowd. And the cheer the crowd is can be intoxicating and be very seductive. And it's more intoxicating and seductive in politics than any arena I've ever participated in. And so I've had a lot of experience with the cheer the crowd. And, you know, you can't overstay your welcome. And I was careful that I didn't do that and didn't uh, become addicted to approval. And so I moved on after eight years, and I've never looked back. When you say cheer the crowd, just tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. The cheer the crowd often encourages us to do what is popular as opposed to doing what is right. You know, in in, in football, the fans don't always like it when you're only gaining three or four yards or, or gaining six yards. You know, they it's a whole lot more sexy when you're throwing a 50-yard bomb or you're, you've got a 60-yard run. But in football, as in life, you're going to have a whole lot more five-yard gains and you're going to have 50-yard gains. And so the cheer of the crowd says we want more. The cheer of the crowd says you didn't vote the right way and you know we're going to vote you out. Well, because you know the cheer of the crowd thinks that it's wrong, it doesn't make it wrong. 
or because the cheer of the crowd thinks that it's right, it doesn't make it right. And I think, you know, you have to come to whatever arena you're in, be it business, politics, athletics, you know, ministry. You have to come to the table looking to do the right things, not necessarily the what the cheer the crowd tells you to do. You know, yeah. the cheer the crowd will tell you that you're all of that, and you start thinking, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. Right, And right. Jason, I've seen it in the ministry. I've seen it in, yeah. in athletics. I've seen it in every arena that I've been in. And when I see someone uh, that thinks that they're all of that, I, I could just hear my grandmother saying, boy, you might be some of that, but you ain't never all of that. <laughs> yeah, that's so for sure. That is a wonderful, reminded. grounded perspective for today's world, JC. It's really great to hear that. So, okay, so you got out after, uh, you know, a fairly short time by most people's standards. And what was next for you? Did you start your, I mean, is your main business, your lobbying and consulting, or is it authorship and, you know, uh, being a thought leader? Or what's your main thing, if you will? It's not, actually. It's only a, a portion of my income. I'm in the John Deere business on a couple of John Deere stores down in Texas. Mm-hmm. I, I still get to preach about eight to ten times a year around the country somewhere. I'll do eight to ten current affairs speeches around the country every year. I'm, I'm in the, the cattle business. I mean, I do several different things in order to you know keep my house payment made. But on the consulting side, the lobbying side, you know, because I left public service didn't mean that there were not issues or cause issues that I was concerned about. So I am still concerned about tax issues. I don't think we need more taxes. I think we need more taxpayers. So what do you do to help uh, create more taxpayers? You work in the government to create an environment that people can invest their money and get a good return, and it's not over-regulation, over-litigation, over-taxation. You create that type of environment, you'll create more taxpayers. And so if you create an environment that's hostile to investment capital, that investment capital, it it won't come to Oklahoma, it won't come to Missouri, it'll go to Texas. If Texas does it, it'll go to Arkansas. If Arkansas does it, it'll go to Kansas. Maybe it'll go to Luxembourg, or maybe it'll go to some other offshore It'll even go overseas. You bet. And so I've still been involved in some of those issues on the consulting side, but it is only a fraction of my total income. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a very good thing. And I love the way you say that, JC. You don't want to create higher taxes. You want to create more taxpayers. And so many politicians, especially on the left, you know, they just don't understand that this is not a zero-sum game. The way the government gets more money is not by raising taxes. It's by increasing the size of the economy and increasing the number of taxpayers and really their maybe their revenue. That's so true. You know, I, I did a speech for our last event entitled uh, You Can't Hear the Dogs That Don't Bark based off uh, Sherlock Holmes and that story <laughs> about the dog that didn't yeah. bark because the dog knew the killer. And that's what's so true in life. When you raise taxes and capital flees, or or maybe people just think, why should I try? I'm just going to give it all to the government. You know, that's the other thing. You don't hear that. That's not quantifiable, but it is most definitely true, right? No question. No question. And, and you know, Jason, I, I did not, the book, uh, Dig Deep, I didn't write it as a political book. I actually wrote it as, you know, just kind of 
looking at my experiences and my circumstances that I've had to deal with and the different arenas that I've been in from, from ministry to athletics to politics to, to business to owning my own business, I wrote about my circumstances and, and my experiences. But the principles that I talk about, they are, are woven into the fabric of the earth. Mm-hmm. And if you are to stand on the mountaintop, it doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, brown, black or white, liberal or conservative, there are going to be times in your life, in your business, in your personal life, in your faith life, in your whatever you're doing, there's going to be times that you're going to have to dig deep and call on, summon the best of who we are and launch ourselves into our current circumstances to fight another day, to play another couple of downs, to work through the bad business deal, work through the struggles you have in in marriage. And Mm -hmm. there are principles out there that, you know, a dysfunctional world, I am dysfunctional, you're dysfunctional, we're all dysfunctional. It's just a matter of degree. Being dysfunctional, that's not the bad thing in living life. The bad thing is when we make our dysfunction are normal. That's when we get ourselves in trouble when we say, well, that's just the way I am. When you hear someone saying, that's just the way I am, what they're saying is, I don't want any accountability, don't Mm -hmm. ever correct me, and humility is not a part of their DNA. And, And I think that combination, Jason, is bad for someone running for dog catcher, let alone someone to be the leader of the free world, to run a country, that's a very dangerous demeanor. And in my opinion, when a person says, that's just the way I am, they usually say, I'm not looking for personal growth. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's as if they're fixed or something, and nobody is fixed in being a certain way. Tell us about, take us through some of these seven steps. Not all of them, maybe, we because we won't have enough time, but just highlight a couple of your favorite, or, or maybe a couple that you think apply the most today, especially in the political scene, because you've got so much background there. One of the principles I talk about is you know, adversity. You're going to have it, I'm going to have it. Life can be difficult, as I said. Life can be messy, and and life happens. And when I was elected to state office back in 1991, the agency that I was elected into was under an investigation. I had done nothing wrong. I I was, I mean, it was two years prior to me being there, and uh, all of a sudden I find myself on the evening news, on the radio and the TV about three or four times a week. It was a very painful time. And I remember, you know, today I look back on that and I don't look at what it did to me. I look at what that time did for me. I grew in my adversity. I've learned a whole lot more in football when I've lost than when I've won. All suffering, and because we suffer, it doesn't mean that we are defeated. So adversity can be good for us if we'll you know, keep our eye on the prize and, like I said, lunge ourselves or plunge ourselves into our circumstances and fight another day, oh, fight absolutely. another week, yeah. and, and, and fight another month. And right. So that was one of the principles. And, and another principle I, I talked about is unlearning. We carry old traditions around with us, and traditions in and of themselves They're not bad in and of themselves, but traditions can also lock us 
into not going to the next level in our mental and our physical and our spiritual growth. And I know in, in terms of wellness, I mean, I've had to unlearn a lot of bad eating habits. And I thought, well, you know, that's the way I ate when I grew up. And that's what my culture, that's the way we cooked food. And that's the way we ate food. And again, because you've done it a certain way for 40 years doesn't mean you've done it right. And so unlearning all, you know, unlearning bad habits, boy, that, that can be tough because, you know, we say, hey, well, my mother's mother's mother. Did it was, this way, and that's the that's way we the do way it. She yeah, did right, it, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> uh, my, my grandfather's grandfather, grandfather, that's the way he did it. Well, it doesn't make it right because we've done it a certain way for the last 40 years. So unlearning and rethinking it's critically important for us to, to do life better. And that's really what the book is about. It's, it's about doing life better, just right. taking my circumstances, my stories, and, and hopefully people can take the wisdom that I've gained from those things, and it will be beneficial and, and helpful to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good advice. Good advice. You know, unlearning things, understanding that adversity can really be the call to greatness. I mean, we humans are so much stronger than we think we are. <laughs> it is amazing right. how when we conquer a few adversities, you know, and then we'll experience that same adversity down the road a bit. And we'll think, this is nothing. I can handle this. I did this. I've been here, done this. No problem. Jason George Bernard Shaw, he said, progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. I just think it's important that, you know, when you come to the table or, or you say that, hey, Jason, there's only room for one opinion in this boat. And guess who's wrong? Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, how many how many times have we done that? And we often draw those conclusions just based on the fact that I've been doing it a certain way for so long. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I'd gone to the deacon body and, and the pastor, and, and, and the youth met with in what we call the big service on Wednesday nights. And so I went to the pastor and, and the board and the um, deacon body, and I said, uh, I would like to separate out from the main service and have the youth do our own thing on Wednesday nights. And I remember one of the deacons said, well, you know, Brother Watts, we've been doing it like this for the last 20 years. And I I wanted to say, well, maybe we've been doing it wrong for the last 10. Right. Talked to them and allowed us to do that. And Jason, we went from about 17 to 20 on Wednesday nights to where we were doing about 90 to 100, Mm -hmm. just because we were appealing strictly to the youth, and we changed our model, and and we changed our thinking, and and the young people thought they're having something especially for us on Wednesday night. Our youth group just exploded. And so, again, if we would have locked ourselves into, or if the pastor uh, would have locked himself, and the deacon body would have tried to lock themselves into saying, we don't want to change because we've been doing it like this for so long, we probably would have sat at 20 to 25 on Wednesday nights for the whole time I was there. So so change isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're changing into a good model. Change for the sake of change doesn't necessarily mean doing it better, but 
change to a better model and to a better way of thinking, that's when you really find your sweet spot in life. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. You're the president and CEO of Feed the Children. Talk to us a little bit about the nonprofit world, if you would, and and your experience there. Uh, So many of these things just turn into either exercises in ego gratification or, (laughs) and and you've alluded to that before when you talked about cheer the crowd, or, you know, they become really scams where the people heading these groups just, they siphon the money off the top and live this lavish lifestyle. We've all heard of these scandals. Uh, Do you see a lot of that? What do you think about that world? And, you know, how do you, how do you fix nonprofit? There's just, maybe those are, those questions are too big possibly, but (laughs) I just wanted to throw them out there. I don't think you're out of bounds simply because I think in every arena that I've participated in today, you know, some people would say that anybody that's in politics today, they're bad. Vote them out. I don't think because a politician, you, you know, a bad politician, and that that makes all bad politics all all politicians bad. I know ministers that you know in a fallen world that. They've had difficulties now because one minister does it. I don't believe all pastors are bad. That makes them all bad. Football players the same way. I've seen football players that that fall and get in trouble and fall into difficulties. But I don't mean I don't think all football players are, are like that. So I do think we have to be careful that we don't paint with a broad brush. But my mission when I became president and CEO of Feed the Children on February first, I said. You know, we want transparency, and we want people to feel like if they invest and feed the children or if they sow seed into the children, that is fertile soil to sow into. And I think it is. They've had some challenges over the last four or five years. I want to get them back to the glory days of pre-2011, 2012, and, and I think we can. You know, we, we do a lot of great things in dealing with poverty and, and dealing with hunger. About 90% of our resources we deploy here in the United States, but we are, Jason, in about 10 countries. And every day we feed 263,000 kids overseas. And last year in 2015, we fed about 9 million kids in the United States of America. So obviously a lot to do and a lot to be done and and hunger and poverty does exist. And, and, And one final thought on that, you know, Jason, many of us, you and I both can say or could say we've skipped meals or we've gone without a meal, but neither of us could probably say that we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Right. Yeah. That's never been a part of our equation. We, we might have skipped a meal, but there was no no concern that we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Well, there are kids in the United States and obviously abroad that they live under those circumstances every day and feed the children is at the tip of the spear around the world and around the United States and trying to make sure that no child goes to bed hungry. Absolutely. Any other of the seven things that you want to talk about? Another one that I've really learned from, I you know, I told you that when I was elected to state government, I you know, got dragged into an investigation and it was very, very painful. And after I'd been elected to Congress, I mean, that stuff followed me and my opponents tried to use it against me. Of course, my margin of victory continued to go up because people knew that that finally concluded that it was political. But the gentleman that kind of dragged me into that, I left 
went to Congress, and all of a sudden I'm thinking I'm supposed to apologize to him. And, and, and Jason, I went through some serious battles with myself and, and with God, and I'm saying, God, why should I apologize to him? I did nothing to him. And so finally I, I gave in and I went to him, and I said, hey, when I left this place, the heart that I had for you was, was not Christian. And I said, I beg your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me. And one of the reasons that I fought that so hard is because I thought forgiving him would make him right. Forgiving him didn't make him right. It made me free. Right. And, and you know, we, we go around with unforgiveness in our heart. And as the old saying goes, unforgiveness leads to anger. Anger leads to bitterness. And bitterness leads to hatred. And Reverend King said, no man should drive you to hate him because it puts us in a prison that that person controls our emotions, he controls so much about our lives. And your listeners today, I would encourage them to think about this. They probably, if you've got listeners that's my age, 58 years old, they probably have someone that hurt their feelings or did something to them. In oh, we, we all have that, of course. Oh, we all we in the high school, no, yes. No <laughs> we have that we too. Do. Right, yeah. And just the mention of that person's name puts a burr on our saddle and just ruins our day and messes with our emotions. Unforgiveness is no different than Jason drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill me or me drinking poison and, and thinking it's going to kill somebody else. It doesn't. It kills the person who's not forgiving. Right. You're right. And that's a famous, uh, I think Confucius said something like that many, many, many eons ago. I want to ask you a question about that, though, because a lot of people say that. So here's a, an odd counter question. I know we got to wrap up, but is there ever a time when it's appropriate not to forgive people? I think there is. I think there are certain circumstances in life where forgiveness is uh, overrated, if you will. <laughs> but I totally see your point. I want you to understand that first. Yeah. My standard is God's word. Mm -hmm. Now, are there times that we don't want to forgive? Does, will it happen overnight? But let me tell you, I know people who allow people who are dead to control their emotions. And that is not they good. they did yeah, something right. or they did something. I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying that if we are to go to the next level mm -hmm. in terms of our mental and our physical and our spiritual growth, especially in, our, in that one spiritual leg of our tripod, if we are, go, are to go to the next level, forgiveness, that's a part of it. Mm -hmm. And it frees the soul going around with that luggage. I had a guy, Jason, when I first ran for office, Oklahoma University had, in a, in a span of 45 days, several different incidents on campus in the athletic dorm to where three guys, three black guys were involved in a raping incident. One black guy, one black player shot another black player, and then the starting quarterback was on the front of Sports Illustrated in orange jumpsuit with handcuffs on, having been busted for selling drugs. Now, when I ran for office, I had a guy white banker there in Norman, Oklahoma, that said, when he heard I was running, he said, hey, people are sick of blacks and they're sick of football players. Did that sting? It, it did. But I had no reason not to forgive him. I had no reason to hold that against him. There's two things that I can control in my life. 
I can control my work ethic and I can control my attitude. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, it takes a whole lot bigger person. And we may not recognize this at the outset of me saying this. It takes a much bigger person to turn over cheek and forgive than it does not to forgive. And when that, when, when you truly forgive, I'm telling you, a person will see the exponential growth in their spiritual lives, in their personal development. And, you know, it, politics today, that's one of the things that hinders politics. We don't say in politics, the uh, handbook no longer says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The handbook today says do it to them before they do it to you. That, mm-hmm. That's kind of the, <laughs> the policy in politics. And where has that gotten us? I mean, it's gotten us to a point that we are, are, are very cynical. I've not watched a Republican debate probably in four months mm-hmm. because it's all I, 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 me, me, me. It's about it's a reality show. I'm going to do it to you. It, 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 yeah, it's almost like a reality show. And so I, I would ask the voters, where has that gotten us? You know, just holding on to those grudges and that I'm going to get him back and I'm going to get her back and she did it to me. I'm going to do it to her. It kind of reminds me of eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, the way they operate. But anyway, getting back to, directly back to forgiveness, I'm not saying it's not difficult, and I'm not saying that it's easy, but it really is the best model. Good stuff. Give out your website if you would. Of course, the book was just released. It's on Amazon, number one in categories you didn't even expect. (laughs) So congratulations on that. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, What's your website, though, or or Twitter handle where people can follow you? I'm not a social media guy, Jason. I'm I'm still pretty uh, old school. I've got a 6G phone that I'd probably do okay with a 1G. But uh, nevertheless, you, you can go to Regnery Faith. They'll have it listed there. You can buy the book at, obviously, Amazon. Costco has it. Barnes & Noble, they've got it. And uh, we are in discussions for Walmart, and hopefully they'll have it in the next week. Right. Good stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and keep up the good work. Jason, thank you, sir, for having me on. This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company, all rights reserved. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please visit www.hartmanmedia.com or email media at hartmanmedia.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and the host is acting on behalf of Platinum Properties Investor Network, Inc. exclusively.